It's another hour of your life you'll never get back. This is Getting Blanked. Welcome to the Getting Blank Podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice. We are thankful that you're here with us today. Uh, big, big show. Big show. Two-part show today uh, with the same guest. Mr. Jonah Carey is going to join me ever so briefly. We're going to talk about his new book, all about the Montreal Expos. It's called Up, Up, and Away. It is available now online and in bookstores. So make sure you get out and get that. We're going to talk about just what, what this whole book is about. What makes the Expo so beloved and yet star-crossed is a word I used in there at some point. Uh, it's it's great. Expos are a terrific, albeit heartbreaking, story. And, uh, of course, Jonah, you know from his book, The Extra 2%, about the Tampa Bay Rays and their businessy ways that, that they rode their tiny payroll and uh, miserable existence to being great. Damn it. And uh, he also, of course, writes baseball for Grantland.com. He does all kinds of cool stuff. He gets to travel around. He's in spring training. He was uh, doing team previews. So after we talk about the Expos, he and I just kind of kick around some ideas, some names, some teams, just stuff to look for, stuff we're thinking about the 2014 baseball season, which is, my goodness, just around the corner. It's all very exciting. So yeah, enjoy. Like I said, there'll be a link somewhere on the page. Go get the book. Read the book. It's about the Expos. Read it on the beach. You think about, you know, baby blue pajama-looking uniforms that are just glorious. Think about guys with red hair. Think about guys doing cocaine. It's just, it's a whole big thing. That's what the Expos <laughs> were all about. Hopefully he doesn't hear this part of the podcast. But yeah, take a quick break. Come back. Talk with Jonah about the Expos. Talk, about Jonah, talk with Jonah about the 2014 baseball season. All that and not a lot more. On this edition of the Getting Blank Podcast. Alright, so here we are. It is at this time that I am very pleased to be joined by none other than Mr. Jonah Carey. How are you, sir? I'm good, Drew. How are you? I'm doing well. Of course, Jonah's the author of uh, Up, 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 and Away, as well as The Extra 2%, baseball writer for Grantland. A very uh, leisured man, obviously. <laughs> Guy with nothing but time on his hands. That's true. That's absolutely true. I'm sitting here pantsless. It's wonderful. It is. I mean, it's it's how we get down You're here. You're in the pod quarry, and you don't wear pants. No, never. It gets too hot, anyway, with this weird gold lame we got on the walls. <laughs> uh, let's start, of course. We'll talk about the book. Talk about Up, Up, and Away. Uh, Available for pre-order and... You can get it. You like, can get it, get it. And can I mean, here, like, you go to Indigo and Chapters and stuff, it seems to be on the shelf. So I guess it's pretty much out. In the States, if people are listening to in the States, yeah, I think you're having to wait longer there. So screw you guys. No, no. It's good. That's kind of how I feel most yeah. of the time. But uh, this has been... Uh, if ever there was a labor of love, it would be this. As a, uh, a very prominent Montreal's Expo, Montreal Expos fan and uh, supporter... <laughs> uh, you had to, at some point, kind of separate yourself from that a little bit, or um, it was both. There's definitely real journalism in it, and uh, kind of an attempt to figure out some nuance. Like, for instance, Jeffrey Loria just gets absolutely murdered, uh, mm-hmm. and rightfully so in some respects uh, by Expos fans, Marlins fans, whatever. So my job was okay. What really happened? Mm-hmm. And you go through it. It's like, no, oh, you know what? He, he did some things that were 
uh, let's say sharkish, you know, mm-hmm. from a business perspective. But he made a real go of it. And what happened was, you know, the local media said, "Okay, you want to broadcast the games on the radio? You pay us a thousand dollars a game." That's not how it works with broadcast. Usually the broadcaster yeah. <laughs> pays the team for the property. Mm-hmm. So what is he going to do? So he took the team off the air in 2000, which caused a lot of uh, of anger for a good reason, but it wasn't really his fault ultimately or Samson or anybody else like that. Um, so, yeah, so there's that kind of journalism, but there's absolutely fan stuff. I mean, there's stories about me and my idiot friends and uh, throwing strawberries at Daryl Strawberry. <laughs> I was a terrible, terrible teenager. What a t- bratty person. Anyway, so we used to do stuff like that, and uh, it was fun. And, and so it just, I, I think it reflects that. And even when I'm writing about things where I don't specifically use first person, and by the way, I never usually write in first person a little bit in this book, there's still the undercurrents of passion. Like if I'm writing about Tim Raines and I'm doing analysis, you could still tell, oh, yeah, that guy really likes Tim Raines. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think that gets reflected. So what was the process then? I mean, you are doing real journalism, so you, I mean, from your Twitter account, you can see you were spanning the, yeah. the well, the globe, the small G globe, <laughs> uh, you know, just doing interviews and talking to players and, and managers and, and everybody. So, I mean, that must have been a, just a, a huge part of, of, of compiling the research for this book. But it's my favorite part, too. I mean, the writing is, you know, what people see. But, uh, I mean, man, you get to go talk to Tim Brains and Rusty Staub and Pedro Martinez and Felipe Alou. Like, that's the coolest. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really, if there was a way for me to not write a book but just somehow get to talk to these people, that sounds great. I would love to do that for a living. Um, no, it was super fun. And that was definitely a big part of it. Uh, I just don't think it would have been as good if you didn't have the voices, whatever. I mean, I have my little opinion or whatever, but, like, people want to hear from Pedro Martinez. People want to hear from guys like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I really – everybody was so generous with their time. Uh, Cliff Floyd gave me two hours, and uh, Jacques Doucette, who was the play-by-play guy for years, gave me three hours in his house. You know, it was just – it was that kind of thing. I got some people I interviewed twice. Charles Brownman, the original owner of the team, he was the first interview I did. I go to his office in New York, and he's, you know, he's a Brownman. He's a big deal. And he's just like, you want all afternoon? You got it. You know, it was <laughs> it was an amazing thing, and I don't presume that I'm that charming. I think that it was really just because uh, people wanted to talk about the topic. They were nostalgic about it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes they said negative things, but mostly positive. And, uh, yeah, I think that that uh, level of access definitely helped. And I can't really give myself credit. They're all just like, yes, yes, yes. No, there was one person who said no, oddly, was Randy Johnson, mm-hmm. who played one year for the Expos. And it wasn't that Randy Johnson said no. It was that his rep said no. It was probably, I caught them in a bad day. They have no idea who the hell I am. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, go away. It was like that. Everybody else was like, yeah, I'll do it. No problem. So the book is, is basically the story of the Expos. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, it's the complete history of the Expos from even before. they. I mean, they started in 1969, but the prologue is all about the events kind of leading up to it. So in the 60s, they lose the team in 1960. They had the Montreal Royals, which was where mm-hmm. Jackie Robinson played, of Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, farm farm team, and then from sixty to sixty nine, they're kind of they're trying to get something back, and so it talks about the movement and so forth, and it gets into elements of the city. It talks about them building the metro, and then they take the rocks from the metro and they use that to build these artificial islands in the middle of the river, which becomes Expo sixty seven, the World Expo. That's ultimately how the team was named, the Expos, and mm-hmm. uh, gets into all that stuff. There's some polit- a little bit of political stuff. It talks about the FLQ and and uh, things like that. Uh, so it's all part and parcel. Um, but then you know eventually it really does become. Um, 99 point whatever percent about a baseball book and uh, I think it's it's reflected in the pages yeah when you're out there and you're talking to to everybody and you're you're getting their stories and like mm-hmm. you said you're doing the journalism you're trying to figure out what you know what was Laurie's deal what was what was the stuff that 
that kind of below the the, the narrative or whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it kind of started to shift, and did it really change your impression of the way that 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 the process of the team and and bringing it to, of course, it's untimely. Yeah. Um, you know, I had an inkling that some things were exaggerated. I think that there's a couple things going on. When you're a human being, number one, you look for a scapegoat if something goes wrong. Like, it can't be your fault. So, like, you know, you kind of – you have to parse that and figure out what's what. I think number two, as humans, we have this thing where we have to have an easy cause for something. Uh, I don't know. You know, the, the Red Sox uh, choked against the Mets in 86. Well, it's Bill Buckner. Mm. I mean, come on, man. A million other things happened besides Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner shouldn't have been in the field. There was They had a better fielding first baseman. The manager left him out there. But Buckner is the goat, and he, he wears the goat horns, and that's it. And to me, it was, I bet there's more. My instincts tell me there's more. I better go out and find out what it is. And so it, it really does get into that. So, yeah, I mean— you know, especially in Quebec, there's a big uh, us versus them kind of thing. And even more so when it's Americans, it's like, oh, Jeffrey Laurie, this American. Oh, Bud Selig. Bud Selig is such a bad dude. I don't think Bud Selig's uh, tenure as commissioner is perfect by any means. I think he made a lot of mistakes, uh, 94 season being one especially. But I don't. I think that it's too convenient to just say, yeah, these Americans screwed us. There were other things that happened. I'm not blaming fans. Like, the fans are great. Mm-hmm. It came down to basically a lack of committed local ownership. I mean, the Jays have... Rogers, that's fantastic. You've got a very wealthy corporation. They could do whatever. They could put money and support and all that. The Expos had a bunch of companies that didn't want any part of it. They put in $5 million, and they all said, we're out. Mm-hmm. Don't bother us. You can't run a team on the money that you put in 1991 and then never again. And that's what they had. And it just never – once Charles Bronfman sold the team in 1991, it was never the same after that. Even though they had the 94 season and things happened on the field, off the field, that was already the beginning of the end. On the field – the Expos are something of like a breeding ground well, on the field and in maybe in the front office. I yeah. mean, you, you, you doing your research, you went and were talking to players and guys who people who got their start uh-huh. in 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 the uh, in the Expos front office. How much of that? I mean, a guy like I know you spent time with Alex Anthopoulos, Blue Jays general manager, who got his start what in the mailroom at, at the uh, twenty one years old or something. Exactly, but I mean, the, his story I don't think is unique in that no. as things changed in Montreal, people were stretched and they learned and flexed new muscles and. I mean, is that is that kind of consistent with a lot of the experiences of the people you spoke with? Yeah, there's a chapter in the book that's called Expos University. I can't remember who gave me that term. It was someone I interviewed, but it was basically you spend your four years and you're gone. So mm-hmm. if you're a player, you're supposed to be six until you hit a free agency, but the Expos would trade them after four, roughly. Mm-hmm. And if you were a up-and-coming executive, then before Alex was like three and a half, everybody was around that area. Dan Duquette, Dave Dombrowski, Neil Huntington, Dave Littlefield, on and on and on. There's all these guys. And... Uh, yeah, you know, th- that was definitely a common experience to kind of get in and out. It was a breeding ground. And uh, it afforded people opportunities. Alex is a kid, a huge Expos fan, by the way, growing up in suburban Montreal in TMR. And uh, he just realizes, wow, I'll suddenly have a lot of responsibility. At first, he's doing gopher stuff. Within a year, he's doing real, you know, scouting and, and things of that nature. And uh, I think it helped him. I think that the reason that he became a GM that quickly is because he had, you know, five years of experience in a span of whatever it is, a year or two years or three years. So, yeah, that definitely made a big difference. And, uh, of course, the players, the 94 being being kind of the mm-hmm. one. I mean, how much time is devoted to, say, 94 compared to – to you know the eighty one team or, or some of the other teams that uh, that competed and, and you talk about the nostalgia. I feel like ninety four is the perfect kind of nostalgia yeah. capsule because you never know. It's that uncertainty that makes it that much greater. No question. There was a book that came out uh, a couple of months before mine that was about the ninety four team actually, and um, 
so it's, it's obviously you can do real long form if you want to from that one season. I devoted a whole chapter to it. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm covering 36 years and there's only uh, 11 or 12 chapters. So, yeah, no, it's absolutely a significant part of the book. Um, <laughs> the 94 guys, like I interviewed Larry Walker, okay? Mm-hmm. And Larry Walker and Cliff Floyd said the same, and they all kind of said the same, is you'd go to the ballpark and you're just like, all right, who are we gonna, whose ass are we going to kick today? Like it was just a given that they were going to roll over everybody and uh, – unbelievable confidence and it was a very young team had that team stayed together they were all 20 some of them were Cordero was like 21, 22 but the others were like 25, 26 they would have been good for a long time probably Mm -hmm. and they had so much swagger I think part of that was Philippe Alou who was just like nobody's going to push us around it doesn't matter if we play in Montreal it doesn't matter if you're young that's the way it is and the players just knew that they were good too and it's funny because like in some cases if you think about a certain team you'd be like Oh, you know, that's the Nolan Ryan team. That's the Sandy Koufax team or the Barry Bonds team or whatever. The Expos had like eight of those guys. You couldn't say it was Larry Walker's team or Moises Alou or one guy. They had a lot of good players. Mm -hmm. And they all kind of respected that they, you know, they could match each other and that any given day it would be some guy. Not because he's clutch or this, that or whatever, just because they're all good. Just Mm -hmm. there was no secret formula to the 94 Expos. They were good and young and they just kicked everybody's ass. And and that that confidence was reflected. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of what if with that story. And that, of course, is brought into and I talk about the strike and all that. But a lot of it is just, let me tell you about this time that they went to play the Pirates and they beat them 14 to nothing. And what they were talking about and laughing about it, literally laughing. They played the Braves. Cliff Floyd hit this big home run off of Greg Maddox. He goes, I own Maddox. I had him. (laughs) Maddox is maybe the best pitcher of all time. It's not top three. And uh, no problem. Floyd was like a 21-year-old kid. You know what I mean? And, uh, And I love that. That's fantastic. I, I think that that athletes can be polite and uh, politically correct and whatever and just say the right things. And these guys, partly because the team doesn't exist anymore, mm-hmm. they have no incentive to, to muffle the truth. So they just say whatever they thought. And I think it makes for some fun reading, actually. Uh, you mentioned Felipe Alou, who I feel like because of my age, again, I was you know a teenager in 94. Yeah, uh, me too. He is like the perfect guy. Like he's very much – Almost like the face of the Expos. You say those are Barry Bonds. I, I think that they could yeah. well be Felipe Alou's team. I, I don't know what it is about it, like him and and that way they all come together in terms of him having that kind of larger than life role. Even though, I mean, he's the manager. He's it wasn't like a fiery guy. He's not running around you know kicking dirt. He's just they those are Felipe Alou teams and, and then they were good. It, it uh, worked out well for him. It did. It's funny. Um... I didn't own a jersey as a kid. The first jersey I ever got was given to me by my girlfriend, now my wife, and it was a Felipe Alou jersey. Not a Moises Alou jersey, not a Tim Raines jersey. It was, I have a white home Felipe Alou jersey from 94, 95 or whatever. And uh, I think part of it was the continuity. Everybody, the four years or whatever, Felipe stayed. Well, he was in the organization f- for forever, but I think he was a manager from 92 to, I want to say, 2000 or 01. So that's a long time mm-hmm. in Montreal. And... Um, it's a funny thing about that. He was absolutely revered by fans. He, the media would come in and he kind of regale them with stories or whatever, and he had this reputation. Some of the players loved Felipe, and some of the players definitely respected him, but they felt that he got too much of the credit. Be, maybe it's because they didn't have that one star who was better than everybody else. In the meantime, Walker is you know borderline Hall of Famer, a phenomenal career, and some of these other guys were unbelievable. But, uh, you know, Felipe leading the team and oh he's good at this and good at that and they don't I don't want to say that they're bitter but they're just like hey man I'm standing right here you know mm-hmm. I hit whatever many home runs that year so um, yeah I think there was a little bit of that for some of the guys but for the most part like Pedro Martinez for example they trade for him he comes over from the Dodgers he's a relief pitcher 150 pounds or whatever and Felipe from day one says you're my number whatever it was number four starter from the get go This is he's never started a major league game in his career or maybe a couple and uh, he said 
you know, I just felt supreme confidence and Felipe made a big difference. In fact, the pitching coach, Joe Kerrigan, butted heads with Pedro. So it got to the point where Felipe was running the, uh, Pedro's bullpen sessions before the game. Managers never, ever run bullpen mm-hmm. sessions. But they had this rapport that really uh, went very well. And so it was one of those things where if you were... I don't want to say that Felipe disliked certain players, but he definitely had favorites, I would say. Mm-hmm. And he sort of knew which buttons to push and who to motivate. And Pedro was absolutely one of those guys. Pedro is so Pedro that he probably becomes one of the best pitchers ever. But maybe it doesn't happen as quickly if not for Felipe. I'm going to write that name down. Pedro Martinez. I'm going to check this guy out. Maybe I'll I hear he's good. I heard his... Uh, maybe Baseball Reference will have something on, <laughs> on, on He's Pedro literally Martinez. writing it down, by the way. Uh, we talk about uh, Felipe Alou. Pedro, obviously, the, the Pedro, again, guys who are larger than life. Yeah. Who is the Montreal Expo? Who do you think Good question. is the guy who will kind of image of him wearing those uniforms, which I think kind of definitely helps the, the uniforms are classic and they're yeah, really well, nice. Especially but, older ones, yeah. Yeah, so who is the Montreal Expo? I think it's... I, <laughs> I can give you the cop-out answer, or I could just try to... I'll give you the cop-out answer first. Mm-hmm. Um, the cop-out answer is that it's a generational thing. If you're older, it's, it's absolutely Rusty Staub. Rusty mm-hmm. Staub was a superstar at the beginning of the team. He was the first star on the team. He made an effort to speak French. He was part of the community. It was everything for Rusty Staub to be an expo. It was very, very important to him, and he took a lot of pride in it. Then it's Gary Carter, and, and Dawson, and Reigns, and Pedro, and Walker, and Vladdy, and so forth. So it depends on how old you are. Mm-hmm. If you want one guy, it's probably Carter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Carter wasn't my favorite. I loved Carter, but you know, I had players that I like more than Carter. But, you know, when he passed away a couple years ago, I don't know that you could say that about – I'm not wishing ill on anybody. But if one of those other guys passed away, I just don't think it would be the same reaction. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy to explain why. He's obviously a great player. He's a Hall of Famer. But he was so popular with fans and so transcendent. He had this just happy glow about him. And I think that this, if he played for Milwaukee or Kansas City, it would have been the same, oh, we have Gary Carter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He might have surpassed George Brett in some ways because he had this thing about him. Um but he's probably the guy, and his death hit everybody hard. And this whole movement that's happened over the last couple of years, listen, I don't think there's a great chance that there's going to be a team back in Montreal. But there's like, you know, I'm putting my hands, about, uh, my fingers about an inch apart. I would have put them zero. I would have said it was impossible before. And for better or for worse, Carter's death was a little, kind of the galvanizer, the, the flashpoint for it, where people started doing memorials and an 81 reunion and then this thing and this thing and a feasibility study and all these things, which may lead to nothing. But there was literally nothing. Nobody was even talking about the Expos uh, before the death. In fact, when I signed my book deal, that was June of 11. That's before any of that happened. And, and I kind of needed some coercing to sign it because, like, wow, I like the Expos. But, I mean, are people going to read this thing? And is mm-hmm. it worth it? And I really asked those questions. So That's a good question. That I had that written down right here on my okay. paper. Glorious. <laughs> uh, if you're a non-Expos fan, you don't know much of the story of the Expos. You grew up in an American League city. Um, what can, what is there? What can they get out of this other than a story of a of a beloved star-crossed franchise? Yeah, you know the way that I describe it is: let's say Drew that you love birdhouses. Mm-hmm. You're the world's foremost authority on birdhouses. You grew up, you built them with your dad. It's everything to you. You cannot get enough birdhouses. And you wrote a book about it. I would read the hell out of that book. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fig about birdhouses because I mm-hmm. think that anything that people are passionate about is going to be reflected in the quality of the writing. Assuming you have some base level of competence, mm-hmm. I'm going to praise myself wildly by saying I have a base level of competence. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I, I think it's like that. I think that um, 
it probably helps a little bit if you don't have to like the expos, but maybe baseball or, or stories or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the other thing that, that is so that, that passion is reflected, but then also it's coming from the players' mouths. I don't presume to have the the status or the gravitas to just be like, let me tell you about the expos. I, there's a little bit here and there, but this is Pedro and Rusty Stav, and those guys are telling you. And uh, you know, you know me, I'm a stats guy, I'm an analytics guy, just on this book at all. Mm-hmm. There's no stat, you know. I have a Tim Raines Hall of Fame case, which is like a sidebar because I'm a crazy person. And it's Tim Raines, but uh, <laughs> that book wasn't going to get written without that. Well, it? yeah, you know, and I'm beating people over the head with it. But otherwise, it's just it's it's those people telling their stories, and some of it is like the office assistant who's in her 70s now, who's the sweetest lady and can tell you all about stuff that happened in 1969. And some of it is local politicians, and some of it is owners and players and GMs opposing players, and like, yeah, man, let me tell you about the strip club. This is what happened when we went to Montreal, and like that never happened. Never. In there's no strip clubs in Montreal. No. <laughs> no strip clubs. And uh, and so it's just, it's all of those things. And you read mm-hmm. it and you're just like, oh, this is a story. It's it's a story that is compelling and the subject matter is not necessarily the most important thing. It's just, it's the detail and it's the, uh, it's the way that people are describing what happened to them and th- that point in their lives. If you are a Marlins fan, is this like reading an almanac into the future? <laughs> or a Nationals fan? Maybe both. It's like pieces of both have been... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, there's stuff about Loria and Sampson. I interviewed David Sampson at length for the book and P.J. Loyello, who used to be the PR guy for the Expos and became one for the Marlins. And, um, yeah, you know, to some extent, because, of course, Loria got his stadium in Miami. I, I'm happy to be – I mean, I don't like the fact that they spend $634 million of public money to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's beautiful. Really mm-hmm. cool stadium. And it kind of reflected Loria has an aesthetic. Whatever you think about him, he's an art guy and he gets it in that respect. And um, – so, yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. Um, but ultimately, I think it mostly stands on its own. I wonder, I'm going to be interested to see what happens with Nationals fans. We're trying to do, we're going to a few cities, but I haven't done um, D.C. yet. And we're mm-hmm. trying to add that. I, and there's a great bookstore there called Politics and Prose. I used to live right near there. I'd love to see the reaction there to this thing. Because mm-hmm. it really, that is their legacy. This was the Expos and now it is the Nationals. I wonder how that would go. It's, it's odd the way the Nationals have sort of downplayed it, I believe. Big time. I, it, but I'm okay with that. It's yeah. a different franchise to mm-hmm. me. My last question about this is, yeah. why the Expos? I mean, there is, I, got, I wrote it down, the Expos diaspora in a way. Where, uh-huh. I mean, you, we, I, we saw you did a, a, a book signing here in Toronto last a night. Lot and of Expos fans. A lot of Expos fans. People love it. You, uh, the last summer there was, a, there was an outing at the ballpark here in Toronto. A thousand people. A thousand people. There are the two exhibition games coming up. Uh, between, sold out, basically. Sold out between the Mets and the Blue Jays. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, you know, an Expos proxy, essentially. Mm-hmm. What is it about the Expos? I mean, is there gonna be, are we going to see like a Sonics? The, is there going to be a Seattle Supersonics generation of kids from Seattle who are going to grow up with this same kind of feeling? I mean, I don't know, but I, don't, I get the feeling that this is a bit of a unique situation. I think that there is some of that with the Sonics. Uh, the Baltimore Colts before uh, the Ravens came, I think, was a little bit of that. Cleveland Browns lost their team. I think there's some commonalities there. The Expos are a weird thing because, um, well, first of all, Quebec is such a – it's such a it's, – it's Quebec. It's just such a different place, and uh, and you really identify it with a way you – know, again, it's that whole thing. It's other. It's us versus them. It's all of that. And I think that there's this element of regret. Uh, the Sonics – did win one championship. It was way back in 1979, but they won, whatever. And the Baltimore Colts were very successful. Cleveland Browns in the early, early days were very successful. The Expos, 
they just kept having bad timing. In the early 80s, they had a ton of money. In fact, they almost signed Reggie Jackson in, in the 70s, right before the Yankees did. That's in the book, too. <laughs> How The reason Reggie Jackson didn't go to the Expos is funny and is a good story in the book. Um, That's a salesman right there. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just... I'm, <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't give it away for free. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, there's all that, and they, had, they were wealthy, but they were not well-constructed. They had the stars. They had Dawson and Carter and all these guys, but they didn't. Now, you know, if Dan Duquette or Dave Nombrowski or maybe whoever your favorite GM is, or, you know, these are former Expos GMs, they have the ability to, like, oh, this is the money ball move. We're going to put this guy back up second base, and we're going to platoon. They weren't thinking of that. They are just like, we're going to be team in the 80s. We have superstars. And then the lesser players stuck, sucked, and that it didn't work. And then you get to Dombrowski and Duquette or whatever, and they're beautifully constructed, good uh, player development, all that. But they also trade for Wetland and Ken Hill and Darren Fletcher. They get these guys for nothing, mm-hmm. except that now they don't have any money. So they just they could never get it together. Then they had their best team ever, and it's in 94, and the season gets wiped out. I think that there's the, the geographic thing. There's the element of, of Quebec culture, but there's also... The, the stars never aligned for that team, and people had this regret like it was this unfinished business, especially 94 more than anything. It's like, I wonder what would have happened had that season gone on. That's awesome. So again, up, up, and away, and the full subtitle, which is uh, very long. Don't make me say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely long. I did uh, uh, Jeff Blair's show earlier today, and he read it 50 times on purpose just to like practice. <laughs> it was very funny. Uh, if you live in Canada, it's out now. If you live in the United States, you can pre-order it on Amazon, all the regular outlets. Go it comes to March 25, bookstore. and this podcast is supposed to be out right around March 25, so I think, for all intents and purposes, it's out. It's out. By the time you hear this, it'll be out. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the 2014 baseball season, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. I'm excited. All right. All that and uh, a little bit more on the Getting Blank Podcast. So I've gotten used to coffee sweats. Still getting used to road regrets. Hell, I took you up on all your threats to leave. Okay, so we're back again with Jonah Carey here on the Getting Blank Podcast. We're going to take a quick spin around the league. About to get started. Well, there's the game starting in Australia. Spinning. Yeah, you're spinning. <laughs> uh, well, by the time you've heard this, they have played games in Australia. Yes. Uh, technically, because they are in Australia, they are unstuck in time, those games. They just exist <laughs> freely of our own existing timeline. Uh, lots of, uh, I don't know, storylines. We talked about the Montreal Expos. Mm-hmm. Washington Nationals, I think, are a very good team. That's uh, fair to say. What do you think? Well, just, let's just, we'll just banter about yes. the National League. Yeah, I like the Nats a lot. Um <laughs> it's funny how people freaked out about the picture of, of Bryce Harper being jacked. It's like, mm-hmm. really? He's a professional athlete. He works out 20 hours a day, and now mm-hmm. he's jacked? I'm surprised. Um, oh, wait. Yeah. He's 21. Oh, sorry. 21. <laughs> yeah. uh, great club. Um, it was weird because everybody kind of expected them to, to run away with the East last year, and that, mm-hmm. of course, didn't happen. They won 86 games, and yet some things went right. Jason Worth's pretty much stayed healthy and had a big year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, some other things went pretty well, too. Uh, but, but I mean, they do look like the favorites, especially with the Braves having the pitching injuries now. Mm-hmm. So uh, that'll be an interesting team to watch. You know, it's funny, the, the move that uh, that all the stat heads really hated, because there are f- it seems like there's fewer really egregious, oh, you know right away that's a really bad move. Ten years ago, he's oh, making fun of this GM or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Doug Fister going to the Nationals for nothing, basically, mm-hmm. I almost feel like there's something wrong with Doug Fister. You and I are on the same page. Really? He's been traded twice for almost nothing. Right. 
Well, the first time they didn't recognize it, maybe. But I, maybe he's hurt. Some, I don't know. There's something going there, on. There's something. Yeah. If he's hurt, if he's not, if they maybe the guys don't like, like him around, whatever it is. That's twice he's been traded for very light packages. Uh-huh. The, what Seattle got, maybe you want to chalk that up to, to Seattle being Seattle. Right. But, but twice in a row. But twice in a row, it's a little questionable. Although, I mean, I, mean, I I'm probably like you. I think he's terrific. I think it's a huge. Well, he's a high war guy or whatever. I mean, yeah. all the, ever the numbers say he's good. The NDRA, whatever, all that stuff says he's good too. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I just, I wonder. Dave Dombrowski's not stupid. And I understand that part of it is that maybe they're trying to save money and sign Max Scherzer. Like, I get all that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really jive. So, I, I you know, the it's, Nationals are good with or without Fister. I'm just saying, I don't know if Fister's running away with the Cy Young this year or anything like that. I think it was a good rec- recognition on their part of things that went wrong last year. Not yeah. went wrong, where 2012, everything went right. Uh-huh. And then they kind of seems as, as though they acted up upon the same assumption that everything was going to go right again in 2013. Right. Just to kind of reinforce themselves a little bit. Uh, the rest of the division is kind of a mess, though. Yeah, well, I mean, the Braves situation is tough. Uh, I do, like, over-under picks every year, and I had four of them. And then the Braves thing had happened, and, uh, you know, the, the the site that I go through, um, me and my partner, my betting partner in crime, we kind of hollow, we decide what, what what's what. And the Braves hadn't moved. It was still 88 wins. I'm just like, okay, well, I mean, we're going to go under at this point. I don't feel very good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Phillies are a mess. I think the Mets are a light sleeper. You know that they can—they're pegged to win seventy-three or seventy-four, or whatever. I think they could do better than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no Harvey. You know, there, there's some other things that they still need to figure out. So they're not going to be great. Marlins might be a little bit better than last year because they were miserable. But yeah, the, we're probably looking at three under five hundred teams, and I think that will actually affect the records to some extent. Maybe the Braves somewhat, but the Nationals might win. 95 games, but you could look at their quality of the roster and say they're probably more like a 92-win team, but because they got the easy competition or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dodgers, of course, are the other... They're the, the heavy favorite all, you know, Pakoda, the, the projection yep. systems, they've all got the Dodgers way ahead of the pack. Uh, it, it could still go sideways, I guess, for, for the Dodgers. I mean, there's no real need to anoint them right away. Well, we haven't even gotten to the team that I really like, which is the Cardinals. But yeah, the Dodgers are are great. They made you know the thing about the Dodgers that's interesting is they've definitely got a lot of stars. But they picked up Ryu, you know, who's worked out so far looks like a really good pickup. And then Heron, they got on a one year deal. Mm-hmm. They're they're really they're kind of nailing those low cost or relatively low cost acquisitions pretty well actually mm-hmm. to go with their superstars, um, which is good. And I mean they've got contingencies, right? Let's say Matt Kemp isn't healthy. Okay, so it's still Ethier Crawford and Puig in your outfield. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So um, you know they, they've assembled a little bit of depth. Uh, they have some options, and they still have some prospects that they can trade if they need to get more guys. So, yeah, I mean, you should feel good about the Dodgers. Well, second base, though. Second base is a disaster for the Dodgers. Call the whole season off. D. Gordon apparently is going to start. I picked him up in the 50 millionth round of my extremely deep fantasy league, so looking good there. He learned how to hit over the winter? No, but he might steal 40 bases. I'm going to go ahead and say that's 207 true. with 40 bases in, a, in an 18-team mixed league? I'll go okay with that. Uh, I, unsurprisingly, I feel like the Dodgers, or the Giants are, uh, are going to be better. In 2014, I really do. You know, everybody thinks that. If you look at the at the projections, whether it's Vegas or the projection systems, because they won, was that 78 last year, about that? 78, uh, one more than the Padres, I think. That's about right. It's grim. So the baseline projection is like 85. It's, a, it's almost a given that they're going to come back. And they have this weird odd year, even year thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if people think it's that or if they're just acknowledging that there's going to be regression toward the mean, because it's not like they signed a million guys. They got Tim Hudson. Which is great, I think. I think that's a huge, I love that as a little sexy pickup. Because you, the thing about baseball is, it's not like basketball. You can't 
have LeBron takes this much of the responsibility and then the other guys take less. The number five starter starts as much as the number one starter does. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, oh, this guy, team's number five starter stinks, but oh, we got Clayton Kershaw. That's no good. You're just balancing Clayton Kershaw with garbage. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, no, I think that matters a lot. And uh, this is part of the reason that... Um, well, I like Tampa Bay every year. Is, is they have they just always have one through five pretty good, mm-hmm. and so there's never going to be an easy spot through the rotation. Oakland was like that last year; they had a deep rotation. The Braves were like that last year, and those teams inevitably do better than the projections because I think we have a hard time getting our minds around how important it is to not have any bad players. Mm-hmm. If your worst player is your second baseman and he hits 250 and walks a little bit and plays good defense, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If your number five starter is, you know, an okay guy, that's fine. Like, that's, you just can't have any crap players. And uh, I, I think that's, that's reflected on all the best teams. I think the Cardinals are that way too, by the way, this year. They have stars, but they have not only uh, no bad players, and they got rid of um, Cosmo, who was the one guy who was no good, but they even had contingencies. Let's say one of their guys goes down. They could bring up Oscar Tavares. Mm-hmm. They could put Carlos Martinez in the rotation, something mm-hmm. like that. Lots of options. So I always like teams that are not only good at the top, but just really balanced and can be 1 through 25 dangerous. It's, it's amazing that when you're the Cardinals and, and the Giants, you know, you've got a lot of success in the last five yeah. years. You have, you know, kind of just wonderfully run teams, frankly. The, the the Giants are confoundingly run in some ways on the field. Off the field, I don't think anyone could ever – they do just a great job. They sure. really connect with the community. They make a lot of money. Privately financed stadium and they're making money. You yeah. could do it, friends. It's doable. So they get to pick. They get – Tim Hudson's like, I'm going to choose the Giants. Mark Ellis says, I'm going to choose the Cardinals. And That's it, right. It's it just like – it just comes to them. It's like pennies from heaven. Yeah, yeah. And it – that that makes sense, um, and I wonder, you know, I wonder how that's going to work in other respects. Like, obviously, if you're a team that has, if you're a team, if you're a contender, you want to play for that team. Mm-hmm. I think there are certain people that might gravitate toward a city. San Francisco's a fantastic city. Okay, that's great to live there. Um, I wonder if like a fun clubhouse or whatever would engender that. Like, I mean, playing for the Red Sox has a lot of advantages, mm-hmm. but if you know you're going to that team. From what I hear, and I mean, there's just no jerks on the team. You know what I mean? It's like Gomes is fun. Bradley's a cool guy. Whatever. All right. Well, I could be a utility infielder on the team. Sure, sign me up. And they're good, and they have money. Blah blah blah. But like, if it's this, and I could take five hundred thousand dollars more to go play for whoever, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go play for the Red Sox. And you, you wrote about uh, for Grantland about the the training staff of they've kind of yeah. Now it's a revolutionized, but they've specialized the way that they look after the guys' bodies, and they have their beautiful uh, facility there in, in nice. Jupiter. And it's just like. Yeah, it's probably uh, not. It's Fort probably Myers. Fort Myers. Yeah, right. Jet Blue, Jupiter. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's talk. We yeah, move to the American League again. The Red Sox. I, I mean, everything went right for the Red Sox, but they did exactly what you said. They 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 layered the team. They mm-hmm. just they they worked their their platoons well. Yeah, everyone got along. I don't know if they're going to win ninety seven games again. But they're still a really good team. Yeah. Stars and Scrubs, doesn't it works better in Roto than in real life. Mm-hmm. The Yankees seem to do that every year and have some problems. Well, I mean, they've won. It's not like it. they've just been less the last couple of years. But the Red Sox have really kind of combined the very, uh, you know, Oakland-y kind of model of let's make sure that none of our guys suck with let's get some real good players. And, and of course, if you can be as smart as uh, the A's or pick whoever your favorite, I'm not trying to put it on one team, but pick mm-hmm. your favorite team and you have $150 million payroll or higher, you're in good shape. So they do that. The medical stuff is pretty interesting. Um Grady Sizemore is getting some buzz now this spring. Mm-hmm. Grady Sizemore, who hasn't played, a, he hasn't been a significant major league player. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know, since the Expos were around. <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, and uh, and I think that's a tribute to uh, them recognizing the talent and also trusting the medical staff. Their thing is they bring in physical therapists. They hire teams of individual uh, of, of, of uh, physical therapists to come in and kind of consult with the team and be around the team and stuff, mm-hmm. which isn't a big expense. It's not... Wow, what a revolutionary concept! You can get a physical therapist for your bubby if she's ninety or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I think just kind of recognizing that it's oh, let's try to prevent injuries. Not only like oh, here's our doctor, we're going to fix this, mm-hmm. is good. And I mean, they got David Ortiz healthy. Uh, he had this really bad Achilles injury, but it wasn't ruptured. It wasn't anything like that. It was just it took a lot of what uh, Ben Sherrington called soft tissue work. They had to work that all out. And I'm not a medical expert or whatever, but it, it seemed that they were focusing on something that is has not been addressed properly in baseball. I don't know if they have all the secrets. I can't guarantee that Grady Sizemore is going to be the guy you pick up in your fantasy league. But it seems like there mm-hmm. might be something there. And uh, gosh, I mean, if you're already rich and you're already signing the right players or whatever, and you can bring that to bear and become like the Phoenix Suns of, uh, of baseball... Mm-hmm. That's really that could be a big thing. All everything coming together. So, but so obviously, I mean, it's a, it's they're playing with house money still. I mean, they won the World Series. Yeah, uh, you spoke of the Yankees uh, mm-hmm. again. Maybe not quite the stars and scrubs uh, as it was last year. Yeah, who and they went what they went eighty five eighty five. They overachieved. They allowed more runs than they scored. They were a seventy nine win team on paper, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Yeah, uh, this year. I'll say that their infield could be really brutal. I mean, they do have Jeter and Teixeira back. I don't trust either of those guys. Teixeira's got a bad wrist. Jeter's almost 40. Mm-hmm. I think that's a problem. Brian Roberts, forget it. I mean, he hasn't played more than 77 games in a season since 2009. Mm-hmm. Kelly Johnson can hit a little bit and has like a lefty, okay power swing that could go in that park. Mm-hmm. Can't field a third base. I don't love it. I don't, not nest about that. So even though I like the rotation, they have, I love the McCann deal. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of things going on. That infield is bad enough that it makes me think that's probably a third place team. I don't see how they're not going to score a million runs, but again, I wonder if that, like you said, the infield and I don't know how the pieces are all going to fit. Right, That's kind of where where I am thinking about it in terms of, yeah, I mean, with Beltran and Sor, uh, you know, Alfonso Soriano, sort of like somehow because he makes a lot of outs. Yeah, still, still kind of underrated. I mean, a guy with huge power, hundred percent, he is. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, again, yeah, not perfect, but uh, better than last year, that's for sure. Yeah, but the thing is, because they because they won – well, first of all, they, I think that people are underestimating the loss of Cano. Cano is better than anybody they had on the roster then or now. Mm-hmm. And you do lose Pettit and Rivera. I think the bullpen could be an issue. I think that I, I'm not 100% trust, uh, trusting of the bullpen. And if you assume that this team is a 79-win team from last year, not 85 – which is not an unfair assumption, by the way. People remember the Baltimore Orioles in 2012, and they made the playoffs, and they were 29 and nine in one-run games, and yip de doo mm-hmm. And then they were 15 and 27 in one-run games. They did not make the playoffs the next year. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that level of uh, I don't want to say luck because that's you know insulting variance, whatever you want to call it. If you assume this is 79, you think they're better, then you're at 84, 85, and I think they're probably 84, 85. I think the Tampa Bay is clearly better, and Boston's clearly better. Kansas City Royals are the sexiest team in the American League. I think we can all agree. People, people. Bruce Chen is a handsome man. He is a handsome man. Uh, the Royals, of course, uh, traded Will Myers last year. A move that I know that you didn't like. Uh, I love Shields, though. Again, love it's Shields. not necessarily about Shields, but it, yeah, giving up a lot to get a little. Mm. But is there a chance the Royals can kind of push through and grab those extra three and four wins over last year? Or, I mean. I, they don't really strike me as a team that overachieved. They won 86 games last year, 85, 86. Yeah. I don't know that I would classify them as an overachiever, but I don't know that they've done enough to, to get better to get to 90 or whatever it might be. I think it's on uh, 
Jordano Ventura. I think that he kind of has to produce for them right away because I look at uh, Guthrie and Chen and Vargas, they're guys. You know, mm -hmm. the Shields is great. The other three are guys. And then they got this unknown. They got this guy who throws 98 miles an hour, supremely talented, and he's getting a, a f the first crack at a wire-to-wire -wire starting rotation job if he is really good right away. If he, throw, if he pulls like a Jose Fernandez, I can easily see them making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. But even if he just has some – is pretty good over the course of the season, I think that will make a difference. They still have a lot of untapped potential in the lineup. Mustakas, Escobar, and Kane all sucked last year. They could not hit at all. Mm -hmm. You could take spring stats and shove them, but Mustakas is hitting a million zillion this spring with all the home runs in the world. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is the year. He's a young guy. He's 25 or something, and Escobar's mm -hmm. young and Kane is young. There's still all that untapped potential on the offensive side, too. So there's a lot of variables, and I can give you a scenario where the Royals finish under 500. Forget about 90. Mm -hmm. but, but the upside might be 90. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's interesting. I think, you know, Cleveland, I almost want to say, has a higher floor than the Royals do. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the Royals have a little bit of a higher ceiling, but I think the Indians are in, the, if you want to talk about that team, and the Indians already made the playoffs last year, but they're, they could just as easily be in the mix as Kansas City. Okay, we don't, we don't have a lot of time. We were getting the uh, the, the wrap-it up sign no in the window. So you got, I'll give you a, a minute on Mike Trout. Mike Trout is, uh, might be the best baseball player that we see for the next 10, 20 more years. He's, he's unbelievable. Uh, the thing I like about Mike Trout is you can do all these, you know, you're supposed to do the same racial comparison. Well, he's Mickey Mantle or whatever. He kind of reminds me of Ricky Anderson. Mm -hmm. He's a badass mf man. He hits for power and speed and he can do whatever and gets on base and, uh, he's unbelievable. He's obviously the best player on earth and he's only two years into his career. I don't, I don't know what you do with a guy like that. I, you know, the Angels, if baseball were like basketball, the Angels would win all the games. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. Uh, I am very, very excited for Mike Trout, power hitter. When he, like, legitimate power hitter. It's amazing that people were comparing Bryce Harper to Trout and, like, who, you, who, do, you, who do you prefer? Yeah. At this point, and I think I might be alone in this, I can foresee a future where Bryce Harper is one of the best power hitters in baseball and Mike Trout is the best power hitter in baseball. He hits the ball so hard. He does. So far. He, I like that. He, I can see him, because he's so big, too. All of a sudden, he's like a 40-home run guy when he's 27, and he's the richest guy in the world. 24, 25. I can absolutely see that, and I think that we kind of get caught up in, oh, here's the team story, or let's talk about this controversy or whatever, and I think we should absolutely appreciate it. Like, Mike Trout is awesome. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not a nuanced take, but that's okay. Go write about Mike Trout and find some cool heat map or whatever way you can tell that story, uh, because I think that we should celebrate guys who are awesome. I do my very best to get to the that's bottom good. of that I'm mystery. celebrating you for being awesome, Drew. Oh, the best. <laughs> Jonah Carey, thank you so much. Of course, up, up, and away, as we said before. Available now everywhere. True. Go out and cop it at your local bookstore online. Uh, read them on Grantland. Podcast coming back in the spring. Summerish. Summer. Once basketball star ends, it's like, oh, baseball's the only sport left. Yeah, yeah, come back to your podcast. That's pretty much the norm. All right. Thank you very much, Jonah, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Getting Blank Podcast. Days of time.